Welcome to Get Yourself Back, a podcast designed especially for those recovering from narcissists. Here, I teach you how to heal, how to feel lasting peace, lead with love, and create the life you want, no matter what you've been through or who is in your life. Hi, I'm Laura, by the way, and I'm the coach for people dealing with narcissists who have lost themselves trying to survive. It's time to get yourself back. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome to episode seven. I am so glad you're here, and I'm so glad to get to discuss these important topics that are so relevant to those of us dealing with narcissists in our lives. All right, so today's episode is about the higher power in your life. So for context, I'm coming from a particular faith background, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This means that I will probably refer to my higher power as God, Heavenly Father, or Father in Heaven. Now, if your faith is different, I want you to know that I honor you and I hope that you will translate my words and the meaning to what resonates with you. Some of you might be atheist or agnostic or just kind of don't want to deal with God at all. I get that. This episode is also designed for any of you who may have used to have faith in God, but decided to stop believing because you've been hurt or damaged in some way by the people who taught you skewed things about God. All right. And finally, if none of this applies to you, that's okay too. These concepts and tools that I'm offering are available to take or to leave as it serves you. And if this episode doesn't serve you, you have my permission to try other things. <laughs> not that you need my permission, but it's always nice to have it, right? This episode is not designed for proselyting, but only for healing in very specific ways that my audience and my clients have been hurt. All right. All that being said, let's go ahead and dive in. So if you've grown up with any sort of faith tradition and you have either narcissist parents or a lot of narcissist people in your life, there's a really good chance you've translated how others treat you and what they expect of you to how God treats you and how he, what he expects of you. You may not even be aware or even dare to call God a narcissist but you might deep down believe that he is one. So what does this look like? Here are some clues. If you think you have to please God, if you think God punishes you by withdrawing love or giving you trials, uh, if you're afraid of God and you feel tons of guilt, these can be really confusing because there's a lot of scriptural language that talks about pleasing God, about kindling God's wrath or fear of God, things like that. But what it means is that you are trying to live your life to make God happy, to avoid his anger and punishment, and to avoid his withdrawal of love. And this is where it gets tricky if you've been trained by imperfect, empty people in your life that taught you that you only have worth when you're making others happy. Because, <clears throat> sorry, because making someone happy. See, that sounds really benign, you know, but for those recovering from narcissist abuse, it's like a prison because you were told that it's your responsibility to make the people in your life happy. And that if you failed to do that, it was your fault. 
you are unworthy, you are unlovable, and you are a bad person. They taught you those things because thinking it's my fault, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, I'm a bad person, creates so much emotional pain in your body that you will do anything to make that pain go away, even erase yourself so that certain people in your life are always happy. So this, of course, translates to your relationship with God because those of us who believe in God and either want to or are expected to live according to his standards can see the parallel very easily. Someone in authority says, do a thing. We either do that thing and make them happy or we don't do that thing and they don't love us. We are bad and we feel tons of pain. This kind of thinking usually produces two types of people. The overzealous religious perfectionist hello, that's me, (laughs) or the rebellious prodigal, okay? The overzealous person does everything perfectly, goes to all church meetings and activities, always makes sure to read scriptures and observe commandments with perfection, maybe even proselytes, probably judges others but tries not to, beats herself up profusely if she fails at living up to standards and is essentially constantly trying to earn her way to God's love. Now, does that mean that this person is bad and that trying to live the commandments is bad? Absolutely not. The actions here aren't what matters. It's the reasons behind the action, the emotion behind the action that is fueling her religious observance. And that fuel is fear, anxiety, guilt, and never feeling good enough. She is overzealous because she's trying to earn love. I know this from personal experience, right? All right, now the rebellious prodigal is doing the same thing, but from a completely different perspective because she knows deep down she'll never be good enough. So she gave up trying a long time ago. She can't deal with the guilt and has and has attempted to set herself free by doing the opposite of what she's been taught to do. So this will probably look like drugs or alcohol or other substances, right? Sex out of wedlock, tattoos, lying, sneaking out as a teenager, abandoning church and religious observance altogether, joining a different faith. I mean, it, the list goes on. All those things okay, that her family, friends, or community are judging her for, she's doing. Now, are these choices that she's making horrible and make her a bad person? Absolutely not. Okay, tattoos, for example, in and of themselves are not evil. It's just ink on skin, right? Substances are just things you put in your body that have certain consequences. Just like literally every other substance you put in your body, some consequences are less painful than others. Some consequences lead to addiction and even death. And some consequences lead to greater health and abundance of life. It's just it's just choices and consequences, right? This is the same with sexual behavior. Sex is neither good nor bad. It just is. And how you use it and why you use it will have certain consequences that you may or may not want. Changing religions, not bad. We are all on our journey in life and we have the right to choose how we want to live and what we want to believe. But look at why she's doing these things. It's 
because she has given up on love for herself. She has deep pain that she's managing in ways that might not be serving her. She probably believes God hates her, if she even believes God is real, especially now that she's done all these sins, right? But here's the truth about God. God is not a narcissist. Narcissists are deeply empty people who don't understand unconditional love for themselves and others and who use others to fill that emptiness to make them feel better. God is not an empty person. He is full. He doesn't need you to go to church and read your scriptures to feel better about himself. He doesn't need you to live your life in perfect observance so that he can be happy. He is perfect and a whole all on his own. He knows how to be happy regardless of how you behave. He is the master of his own emotion. He is the creator of all things and is the source of love in the universe. No one ever has to earn God's love, ever. It is inherent in your existence, always has been and always will be, no matter who you are or what you choose. So a person who attends church perfectly and never commits sin is just as lovable and deserving of love as the vilest sinner on earth. Yes. Okay, let me say that again. Heavenly Father loves you just as much as he loves the worst people on earth. You don't get more love than him. I'm sorry. You don't get more love from him the more good you do. It's not possible. You already qualify for all the love that exists in the universe simply by existing, simply because you were created. It cannot be diminished or increased. So how do we know this to be true? The scriptures are replete with evidence of this. So the next time you open the scriptures, look for this evidence, and I promise you, you'll find it. But for the purposes of this episode, we will not be doing a Bible study looking at specific scriptures. Although if you really want some references, please email me and I will get those to you. But the two main evidences are, number one, that God sent a savior to provide wholeness and healing to all who want it. And two, that the two great commandments are to love God and to love others. Now, if I'm not mistaken, there are many faiths around the world who have Messiah figures and whose core doctrine uh, core doctrine rely on love and peace for all. If those two things don't resonate with your particular faith, you can email me. We can have a discussion that will fit for you. Now, the messianic figure or Jesus Christ for this episode is sent by God as a manifestation of his infinite love for the world. Why? Because life on earth is not perfect. People won't always love each other. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of uh, choices being made that uh, create hurt and anguish for a lot of people. And Jesus was sent to atone for all of it, to teach true love and to give us the gift of true perfection and wholeness through his sacrifice. And this concept is not easy to grasp. It, I, this I've been raised with this concept since birth, and I still sometimes don't quite grasp it, even though it's simple enough to explain to a child, but it's deep enough to really spend a lifetime trying to understand. Um, Atonement doctrine is just really deep, (laughs) and it's worth studying. But the message I want to get to you today is that you have been taught that love is earned, 
and that you should be spending your life trying to earn it. But what you have been taught about earning love is false. You cannot earn love. You already qualify for all the love in the universe simply because you exist. Remember step three, unconditional love? Newborn babies cannot earn love. They are precious and worthy of love by virtue of being born. And that's how we feel as mortals, as imperfect humans, about the children being born on this earth. Imagine how an imp- like how, how an actual perfected being who understands and knows all things feels about you, uh, a person who exists, who has been created, right? So we know this to be true, that God loves us by virtue of us existing perfectly and completely, um, even non-babies, <laughs> because... Jesus Christ existed. He came to earth and did very important things designed for every human soul to benefit. Things that I suggest you begin studying, but from this perspective, okay? A lot of people use Jesus dying for you to inspire guilt in your body so that you comply with the standards of the faith. This, in my opinion, is inappropriate. God doesn't need you to feel guilt, to live the life he has in mind for you that is designed to bring you the ultimate amounts of peace and happiness and growth as a person. The problem with guilt is that it can only take you so far. It'll get you to show up, but it won't get you to really drink deeply from the love and growth being offered to you. Doing something out of guilt is about making your pain go away. When you're motivated by guilt, you do the thing until you stop feeling the guilt. And that's the limit of your progress and the limit of the amount of love that you feel. So Jesus chose to die for you. You didn't make him. Jesus suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross because he volunteered. No one made him do it. Your sins didn't add to his suffering. His suffering is infinite, right? The infinite atonement encompasses all the suffering in the universe, all right? And Jesus is capable of managing his own suffering without you killing yourself with guilt about it. You can't make him feel better about the suffering he chose to experience on our behalf. He doesn't need it. He's whole. He is the master of his emotion. He doesn't beg you to stop sitting because it'll make him feel better. He invites you to choose his path so that you can live an amazing life free from unwanted consequences and, and and allow you to grow into a person who is also whole, who also doesn't need other people to do things to make you feel better, right? The miracle of the atonement isn't the suffering and death itself, although that was how he accomplished it, or at least that's what I understand. I'm sure there's a lot more to it. But the miracle of the atonement is in what his suffering and death gave us, which is the opportunity to repent, which means to turn around, to change, to do better, and to be better. Without that sacrifice, changing and being better isn't available to us. So for example, think about your um, your narcissist life, well, not your narcissist life, but the people in your narcissist, uh, sorry, the narcissist in your life and your life as a result of narcissism and how you have changed, right? Your brain 
was changed when you were abused by narcissists in your life. There, there's an actual neurological change that happens in your brain that drives a lot of the behavior that you do that doesn't serve you. And as a result of this, if you do nothing to heal because of the wiring of your brain, you are doomed, or at least that's what I believe. Maybe you're not doomed, but you you are more likely to make the same mistakes over and over, to attract more narcissists in your life, to create patterns of toxic relationships. And I only know this because I've seen it in my own life, in the lives of people around me, and in the, in the lives of my clients. I've seen this pattern repeat over and over again, and it will continue to repeat for generations, okay? This narcissism is cyclical. It is generation generational. It goes on forever unless you do something about it. But here's the deal. Someone who has been there, who's experienced all the abuse, who knows the way out, right? Who suffered through the experience and knows the way out can show you how to change your brain in specific ways so that you don't recreate the life that was given to you so that you can create a life that you actually want like a healthy, happy, long-lasting relationship, like being a a parent to children that are a healthy parent to children, right? Or stopping the cycle of alcoholism in your life. I mean, it just, it, it is crucial that you stop and turn around in this scenario so that you don't have to experience more and more and more of what was given to you, what, what was created for you uh, by the the people in your life. This is this is how you break the cycle. And so so that's kind of a metaphor for what Jesus did and his atoning sacrifice, right? The work that you do here, changing your brain and 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 changing your life, uh, represents and is a metaphor for the work that Jesus has done with all of us that he made possible for us because he descended below all things. He sacrificed and suffered in ways that we can't imagine so that he could show us the way, so that he could offer us a better life and show us exactly how to do it. One of my favorite things about my faith is the concept that God has designed earth life for us so that we can grow to become more like God. So this is the heavenly parent concept uh, in the world of Christianity. It's I don't know if it's very common. So if this is a new concept to you, I invite you to just listen to it and see if it resonates with you or not. But the idea is that we are, aren't here to just earn salvation and praise God for eternity, although that's probably an option if you want it. But we're also here so that we can be taught by God to become whole, perfect creators, just like he is. If you are a parent, isn't it your greatest desire that your child become an amazing person, just as capable as you, if not better and more successful, right? I think that's how God sees us too. He is a father, not a taskmaster. A narcissist parent doesn't want what's best for you necessarily. They want you to just do the things and be the person that ultimately makes them feel better. Do you see the difference? Okay, so let's get uh, to some frequently asked questions. All right, so if God doesn't need us to feel better, why does it make him sad 
that we sin and happy that we live the commandments? Great question. God is the master of his emotions, but he is not emotionless. The scriptures talk about how God wept at the sight of his children living in open defiance of his laws. The way I see it is that as our heavenly parent, he is full of perfect compassion. That means he has ultimate empathy. He sees our suffering and feels the suffering right along with us because of how much he cares. He also feels disappointment and grief. When we choose not to change, we choose not to be in his presence. And as a result, we are separated permanently. And he feels grief at our separation. He's allowed to feel grief, but we are not responsible to manage God's grief. He can handle it. Choose to live the gospel, not so that God stops feeling negative emotion about you, but because you want to and you see the value and you want to nurture a relationship with God. What would that look like? How would that feel? How would that change your life? The next one is, I'm afraid that God will try to teach me, quote, teach me by using trials, death, and loss. Okay, I understand this one completely because the scriptures are full of examples of highly esteemed prophets going through big trials. It's almost like if I stay small and I don't get close to God, I won't have to go through these big trials. Unfortunately, living this way doesn't necessarily protect us from experiencing the awful things that life on earth offers us. And the way I see it, earth life was never meant to be comfortable and happy all the time, no matter what we believe. People die, wars happen, you know, even children are abused in the most horrible ways. Awful, horrible, horrible things happen to innocent people all the time, even children, that we can't stop. And good, faithful people endure all kinds of hardship just as much, if not more so, than, quote, bad people. I say that in quotes. And why is this? Because it's so unfair, right? But God's job isn't to prevent all the horrible things from happening on earth. Just like it's not our job as parents to prevent our children from the pain of falling off a bike as we're learning to ride it, or to prevent every sibling squabble, or to never let them break a bone while playing. If our child breaks his arm because he fell off something, does that mean we are horrible parents that don't love our children? No. A lot of people say, the God I know wouldn't allow this to happen. Okay, well, if that were true, then earth would be a paradise where nothing bad ever happened ever. And guess what? That's just not reality. That's not the world we live in. In my opinion, there is always purpose to our suffering if we choose to see it. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't stop fighting for justice or for peace or to protect our children from the horrible things that happen, or that we shouldn't do everything in our power to prevent the awful things that could happen, right? That's why we wear wear seatbelts, okay? That's why we act in civilized manner and live according to laws that really prevents a lot of heartache and horrible things happening. And I'm not saying that people should hurt other people and that we should allow it. That's not what I'm saying. But... God respects our agency and cares for us as we move through the trials that for whatever reason, we're not prevented if we let him. I mean, there was nothing I could do to prevent our baby from dying at 18 weeks. I believe God has power over life and death, but I don't believe 
we have the right to demand when that power is being used so that we don't have to feel grief. God is full of wisdom and can see the end from the beginning. There was purpose and meaning in her life, no matter how short it was. And yeah, I grieved her loss, but I was carried through and I experienced real miracles that changed me forever. Her passing was as much a gift to me as it was a loss. Do I ever want to experience it again? No, (laughs) but I know that if I had to, there is purpose and I can get through it. God didn't save you from the narcissist in your life, but here you are. This is an opportunity to heal, to take the bad things given to you and turn them into something meaningful. The Savior descended below all things, as the scriptures say. He subjected himself to all the suffering we might ever experience. Why? Because there was purpose in it. He turned all that suffering into healing and hope. And because of his suffering, he is authorized to offer the healing and hope that only he can offer us. The bad in our lives serve us just as much as the good. We can't fully know and appreciate experiencing the good without experiencing the bad too. And we grow in depth and maturity and power as we pass through hardships because God wants so much more for us than just feeling good all the time. So what about when he punishes us? I use punish in quotations. God is also in charge of parenting us right? He is our father in heaven. Sometimes that means that we have consequences to our choices. This is to teach us. The natural consequences of our choices teach us what it is that we really want. For example, most faiths have the law of chastity. If you don't live the law of chastity, there might be certain natural consequences. Unwanted pregnancy, pregnancy before you're ready, which I guess is the same thing as unwanted pregnancy, uh, single parenthood, STIs, being cheated on. I mean, the list goes on. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not judging people who choose to live their life this way. That's, that's okay. People can choose. Thankfully, there are treatments for STIs and birth control options and all kinds of things that mitigate you know, the unwanted Uh, consequences of not living the law of chastity. However, those mitigations aren't always perfect and don't always prevent the unwanted consequences in the same way that faithfulness and abstinence does. Not to mention, learning the important skill of managing the urges of your body that will not serve you, okay? I mean, these are are reasons, and, and God gave us the gift of procreation and the bodies to accomplish it. And he understands that when this power is used in the way that he designed, it will bring us the greatest happiness and growth. But if you choose not to live according to that design, that's a choice you get to make. But God can't save you from the consequences of that choice. Um, And you're not an evil person necessarily because you make those choices. Right, And he doesn't want you to fill your body with tons of guilt and shame because of the choice. He just wants what's best for you, like any parent would. And he knows what is best for you. So you get to pick. You get to decide, okay, is the law of chastity really what's best for me or not? 
and why? And which one do I want and why? Those are things you get to figure out for yourself. All right. Next question. Um, what about the withdrawal of his spirit? Doesn't that punish us? Okay. Sometimes, yes, consequences do look like the withdrawal of his spirit, which doesn't feel great. Sometimes scriptural language calls this offending the spirit. But here's the thing. Offended in this context is not the same as when the narcissist in your life is offended. When that person is offended, there's a lot of bitterness, there's a sense of hurt, and there's a sense of blame, right? It's your fault they're offended and you better make it right. But when the spirit is offended, usually this is about grief and about boundaries. This is how he shows us what is appropriate and what isn't. He's showing us the difference between darkness and light so that we can make better informed decisions in the future by showing us what it feels like to have the spirit in our lives and what it feels like when the spirit leaves. And he is using the power of boundaries through his spirit to say to us, this is what I will tolerate and this is what I won't tolerate. And this particular consequence to me is really special because it's very personal and direct. Instead of using natural consequences to teach us, he's teaching us directly. Even the withdrawal of his spirit can be a spiritual experience. It's pretty special that he would care enough about my growth to show me personally, individually, his path versus another path. And remember step two boundaries? A boundary is a way to show love. It is a person being honest with you. And you can't love someone for who they are if they're being fake. God will not people please you or lie to you so that you feel better. And at the same time, he has perfect love for you. Isn't that amazing? I think it is. So the question behind all of this is, who do you want to be? And what kind of life do you want to live? If the answer is you want to be like God and live a happy, peaceful life that is full of support during the hard times in life, God is inviting you to live a certain way. If that's not the type of person you want to be, then that's a choice you get to make. God doesn't love you any less for making either choice. You aren't less deserving of any sort of love. You're just making choices and you get to see how those choices affect you and decide if that's what you want or not. God, as our parent, can see all the options in life and knows which choices will bring us the greatest happiness, the most growth, the greatest peace, and the greatest power to bring so much more good into the world. He offers you that path at any time in your life and you get to choose it or not. But at no time is he trying to use your life or your choices to manage his own pain. So if you are the religious zealot trying to earn love or the rebellious prodigal or anywhere in between, I invite you to just stop, pause, be still, and accept that God might love you for exactly who you are already. Think about what it is that you want. What kind of person do you want to be? Does your life align with that desire? Do your choices reflect pain management or personal growth? Which one serves you better? Do you want to read your scriptures because you should? Or do you want to read them because there might be a special message in there waiting for you? 
Do you want to go to church because you feel like an ungrateful jerk if you don't? Or do you want to go to church because you get the privilege of participating in sacred ordinances and you get power throughout the rest of the week, or sorry, throughout the rest of the week to accomplish the things that you're trying to accomplish, right? If you want to have a relationship with God because you feel like you should, stop. Have a relationship with God if you want to. If you're curious about it, or if you don't actually want to right now, but you want to want to, then there's some beliefs in there that need to be examined. We got to deal with those. And finally, if you just don't want a relationship with God at all, that is a choice you get to make. God will probably feel a loss because of this choice, but that belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you. He respects and loves you so much that he is willing to let you go if that's what you choose. If you've been raised by people who just want to use you to feel better, I invite you to explore the idea that Heavenly Father could be your parent instead. What kind of relationship would that be like? What could you learn? Who could you become? This concept right here was a game changer for me in my faith. I used to be that religious zealot. I went to all the church activities. I did all the scripture reading. I was like perfect observance, but that's actually not true. I wasn't in perfect observance and I totally beat myself up and flagellated myself with guilt all the time, right? Because I wanted to earn love and I wanted to earn and feel peace about like my, I I wanted to create the peace for me. I didn't accept the peace that was already being offered to me. But once I let go of that and I decided to see God as my actual father, my parent, things really changed dramatically for me. It was a complete shift and it has been a source of real peace and tons of growth and learning. I feel like I have so much access to inspiration. I feel like I am a better parent. I feel like Heavenly Father has taught me personally about how to be married, about how to be a parent, about how to grow a business, about how you know, to do the things that I want to do. And he's, I feel inspired, you know, by vision and a lot of things in my life are going the way that they're going because of this special relationship I have with my father in heaven as my father, you know, and I just, I want you to know that you have access to this at all times. Your, your soul, because of the nature of your existence is constantly connected to your father in heaven at all times because you were made in his image and you were created by him. At least that's what I believe. My father in heaven is my parent and I have learned so many tremendous lessons from him that have brought me so much happiness in my life. Now, I want to emphasize this doesn't mean that I never have bad things happen to me, obviously, right? I had a baby die. I've had, you know, a lot of hard things happen in my childhood that um, that have been hard, but my life's trials have been lessons. They haven't been struggles for the sake of suffering. They have been turned into sources of strength and growth for me. I see them as gifts. Honestly, I really do. I didn't always see them as gifts. Um, but I do now. And, and that is really amazing to see all of the hardships and trials I've experienced in life as a gift. And I think that that's possible for everyone. And I feel so much gratitude for those gifts in my life. 
because they've made me who I am and I am a better person because of the hard things that I've been through. And I don't feel fear of the hardships that may come my way because they probably will. I mean, I'm a human. I live in an imperfect world and everyone is destined to die at some point. It's just a matter of when. And so I'm going to experience more hard things. It's coming my way, but I don't feel fear. I'm not afraid. And that is amazing. I mean, what a gift that is. Anyway, because of this relationship I have with Heavenly Father and because of, you know, the growth that I've experienced in my life, I feel this way and I'm no longer driven to live uh, according to the gospel and according to the standards that I believe in. Um, I'm not driven by guilt or fear anymore. And, And this is just so freeing because when I was younger, I was driven by guilt and fear and I felt obligated and I felt, I mean, I I think I had a lot of really great experiences as a teenager trying to live the gospel as best as I could. So I am grateful that I chose that particular path, even though it wasn't ideal. Um, But at the same time, the, the reason behind why I do what I do, why I live the gospel is just so much better. I just feel like it comes from me and it isn't about resolving my guilt. It isn't about making my anxiety go away. It's, it's, it's so freeing. And so I, I want to offer that freedom to you if you want it. And best of luck to you, whoever is listening on your spiritual journey. I am always here if you have any questions or need help. And I hope that things work out for you and that you get to make these choices because you are a free agent that will make choices and that you don't make choices based on trying to make someone happy. And that is my goal for you. So I hope you have a wonderful day and that you've enjoyed this podcast and I will see you next time. Bye. Hey there. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, working one-on-one with me just might be what you're looking for. I invite you to book a consultation It's a free one-hour conversation focused entirely on your situation that will change your life. Email me directly at laura at bythewaycoaching.com to get started. Can't wait to see you soon.